continue our study in Hebrews 12. And last week, y'all, you can go in and open up there. We talked, we, we pretty much ended with uh, Esau. That's just that the last two verses uh, that we studied, Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, about uh, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. And Esau is not one that you want to be compared to, okay? He's not one that you want to be likened unto. And because specifically we're all sinners and we know he was a sinner and we're sinners, but he despised the things that he should have esteemed. He despised what was holy. He despised what was uh, spiritual. And basically he, he traded it in what was of eternal value, even though we might not fully and understand the full ramifications of a father's blessing, okay, or his birthright, for example. I explained it uh, the best I could last week, but still, he, he traded it in, basically. And the Bible says, thus Esau despised his birthright, basically for a bowl of soup, for a carnal thing, for just a physical, immediate gratification rather than uh, valuing what he should have valued. Okay, so that's pretty much uh, the thought there. Esau is not spoken of highly. The, the few other places I've spoken of in the scripture, it's the same type of thought about Esau. And uh, I know God loved him in the sense that he loves all men, but he despised the man that he was, the, the choice that he made to to, um, like I said, forsake the spiritual and what he should have esteemed, he despised it. The Bible says, thus he despised his birthright. And so the warning was against us. And then even afterwards, when it says he, he couldn't find a place of repentance, because it evidently, and when you read the, the story, the Old Testament, when it actually happened, it was more of a regret and more of a remorse that he missed out on something. I missed out on the blessing. And he really was sick about it. You know what I mean? He was really bummed out, uh, overwhelmed that he missed out on something that could have been his. But there was nothing spiritual about his regret. There was nothing spiritual about it. God was not in the picture at all. It was just like, Father, isn't there a blessing for me? You got one little more blessing you can give me? That's all he wanted. And then he wanted revenge against his brother. That's all there was. Nothing spiritual about it. And that's kind of the picture that's given of Esau. And so the warning was not to be like that. Okay? Not to be like that. Well, we're going to pick up and move on. If you'll look at verse, let's read 18 through 21. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched that, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You know that last part where it says that Moses uh, said, I feared and quake. Um, that's not actually written in the Bible somewhere, so that must have come from maybe another writing, extra biblical writing or something like that. But the Bible doesn't say that, but it's evident that it was a fearful sight. Now I want you to picture what this was. What, what's being accounted there was when the Lord came down, literally came down on the Mount Sinai in the wilderness, and the law was given. 
So what's, what's being contrasted here, it says you're not come unto that mountain that might be touched. All he's saying is that you're not, you're, you Hebrew believers that are, or he's writing to, the author of this epistle is writing to, the Holy Ghost is writing to all of us. He says, you're not come to that mountain. This is not what you've come to, not that physical Mount Sinai. You're come, um, well, we're going to read it in the next verses, but the, the description given there was when the Lord came down. I want us to take just a moment to read some of that because I think it's, a, it's important to read about that encounter where the Lord came down. Moses, you, you recall, he went up on the mountain and met with the Lord. The people were commanded to stay back, and there's actually a border put around the base of the mountain that the people wouldn't come too close. If they came too close, they were going to die. Okay? They were going to die. Even an animal. If the animal got broke free and got loose, so I'm sure they had to tie up their animals or put them in a corral or something, to, because if they got too close, then the, the animal would have to be killed. It was a, a significant thing and a serious thing going on, and God was giving the law. And so I want us to read this in Deuteronomy 4, 11 and 12. Let's start there. Deuteronomy 4, 11 and 12. Well, I'll tell you what, this is after it happened. Y'all hold your spot there. Let's start in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, and we'll come back to that. Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the, in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And this is the southeastern part of Jerusalem. If you're looking at a map, this would be towards the southeast part of the city. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not unto the mount, up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely, surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet sounded long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and sanctified, uh, and, and, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, and come not at your wives. And it says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. And just try to, to picture the scene, okay? Thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to, the, to meet with God. And they stood in the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, set, set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. 
And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priest and the people break through to come up into the mountain, lest he break forth upon them. And Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. That, that's, uh, we can turn back to Hebrews. I think that's all I'm going to read from that. But the purpose, y'all, of this whole meeting with the Lord and the children of Israel was to, uh, it says in another scripture, it says, and I will, the Lord says, I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth. So God's purpose was, I want to meet with the people. Of course, he wanted to give the law. We understand that. But he could have given the law and just given it through Moses without all the physically coming down like he did on the mountain and the thunders and lightnings. And they heard his voice audibly and all of that and the fire and the smoke. He says, I want to cause these people to hear. I will make them to hear my words, he says, so that they'll learn to fear me all the days of their life. I want them to learn to fear me and walk with me. And he's saying, you, you believers, you Hebrew believers and us, that's not the mountain that we're, we've come to. That's not part of our covenant. We're part of a new covenant. And remember, everything in Jesus is better. I'm going all the way back to our beginning of the study in Hebrews. Everything in Jesus is better. And so we're not part of that co- uh, covenant the old covenant with its ordinances and its penalties and so forth. Uh, and it revealed the sinfulness of man. We talked a lot about that. What was the purpose of this law? You know, it was, and even the picture of it being God in smoke and furnace and fire and all that, and don't come too close. Well, now he's saying, come unto me, Amen. right? It's not that people couldn't approach the Lord in the Old Testament. They couldn't come. Uh, it, it wasn't through the law that they would come. You know, Enoch walked with the Lord. People walked with the Lord and had relationships with God. But the, the point is that the law, one of the reasons the law was given, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, was to make sin exceedingly sinful. In other words, to, and we've talked about that before in the past, to show the seriousness of sin, to sort of lay it out there. Everybody has a consciousness of sin, Okay. But the law kind of enumerates it and lays it out there. You've really sinned. Look, here's all the laws you've broken. Here's how many times you've broken it. As opposed to just saying, I'm not that bad, but yeah, I've done some things and I've sinned. The law makes sin exceedingly sinful and it's right in your face. And it's a law and it's just and it's righteous and it's holy and you can't argue with it. That every mouth may be stopped, right? And the law just says, here's what you've done. Here's God's holy standard. There's no ifs, ands, and buts. And so... The law points that out, but the law in itself couldn't save. The law pointed to a Savior, okay? And so we're not part of that covenant. We're not part of that Old Testament covenant where the bounds are set and you can't come any closer and so forth. This new covenant uh, through Jesus' blood, he's able to deal with our sin and wash away our sin and cleanse our sin and cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God it is better. There's no getting around it. And, and I believe the law is spoken highly of in the Bible. Amen. And we've talked about that too. That we're not, It's not our position at all to bash the law. It simply was weak through the flesh. It could not save and God didn't give it to save. It did fulfill his purpose of, of giving it. If people would have listened, Amen. more people like David or Moses or Samuel or, you know, different uh different people like that that knew God, that lived under the law, they listened and they knew 
they knew that the law was not their savior. They were looking to the Lord to save them. And Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And when he came, the law was fulfilled. It was put away. And so it was abolished in that sense. It wasn't shot down like with a machine gun. It was put away because it was finished. Jesus fulfilled the law. And he fulfilled all righteousness. And he fulfilled all the prophecies. And his own goodness and own righteousness, he fulfilled the law. And through a sinless life, okay? And if I'm in Christ, then he basically that his fulfillment of the law counts for my fulfillment of the law. Does that make sense? Because he died in our place. And so anyway, Israel sinned in that they rejected the word of the Lord. They didn't want they refused to hear the word of the Lord. And they said, uh, when they were on the mountain, Lord, uh, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to we don't want to hear him anymore. We're scared. Moses, you get on up in that mountain and you go meet with God. We'll wait back here and you come tell us what he says. They were, now I know that was the command. They were told to stay back, but even after that, they said when the Lord would want to meet with Moses again, they would say, Moses, you go. We're afraid. You talk to him. And there was a difference, I believe, and maybe it's just in my own way of of describing it. There's a difference to me between a fear of God and being afraid of God. And maybe it just helps me to understand it when I say it that way, but uh, fear of God is healthy and it must be and it's necessary. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge and understanding. And the Lord says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life upon the earth. He wants men to fear and they must fear. Okay, We must fear God. That's you're just not going to worship Him if you don't fear Him. You're not going to serve Him. You're not going to humble yourself before Him and lay your life down to the foot of Jesus and call upon Him for mercy if you don't fear Him. But it's not the same thing as being afraid uh, where we want nothing to do with Him. You can fear somebody and, and reverence them and respect them and honor them and know that they're much greater than you and could squash you like a bug if they wanted to and still not be afraid of them. The children of Israel saw the, the acts of God and the miracles of God in the wilderness, but they didn't love Him or long for Him or pursue after Him. Moses feared God, but he also wanted to be with Him. Lord, if that's You, show, show me Yourself. Show me Your presence. Manifest Your presence here with me. And the, the Bible says that Moses knew the ways of God. In other words, he, he saw that yes, He's great and terrible. These are words that the Bible uses to describe God. But I don't believe Moses was afraid of God. He said, I want to see you. He said, okay, Moses, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock right here. And my, I'm going to, my glory is going to pass by you. Moses wasn't afraid in the sense that, let me get out of here. Get as far away as I can get. He wanted to be with the Lord. He tarried before the Lord. He went up on the mountain and tarried before the Lord. And right below him, a little bit down the mountain, was Joshua. And he's kind of wanting to, to get in there too. And there was a fear of God, but it was the right kind of fear that you can fear and reverence and worship and do homage to the Lord as supreme being and creator of all things. And the God, But He's also the God of all mercy. They knew that and they wanted to know that about God. They wanted to know more than just this big powerful hand that uh, rains manna down. This big powerful hand that opens up a, a water out of a rock so they can drink from. Oh good, our needs met. You know, Moses is like, yes, our needs met. There's a need meter that met it. Jehovah. You know what I mean? Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And so uh, 
But anyway, the, the people sinned in their unbelief. We read that early in the book of, of Hebrews. They couldn't enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. But also they refused to hear His words. They did not want to hear God. They didn't want to hear His word. And uh, everything about that scene uh, on the mountain was a scene of, of the ordinances of God and then the fearfulness of God and the punishment or the penalties for not keeping His Word and so forth. And let's keep reading. That, that's not the mountain that we're come to. That is past. That's historical. And if somebody is still living, that uh, would be an Orthodox Jew in our day that's still living, waiting for the Messiah to come. As far as they're concerned, they're still relating themselves to that Mount Sinai and what took place there. There's not a new covenant in their minds. They're still living in that same one. We have Abraham as our father. And what they, uh, the scribes told John the Baptist when they came out to the, his baptism, you know, and, and uh, they're trusting in Abraham and Moses and the law and so forth, and they don't realize that their Savior's come. So they're only relating back to this, and they're missing, missing out on what the Lord's done for us. But let's keep reading. Let's keep reading verse 22. But ye are come unto the Mount Sion, that's with the S, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We'll stop right there. So, we're not come to that Mount Sinai. We are come to Mount Sion with an S, and, and I'm sure you know this, but anytime you see in the Bible Zion with a Z, alright, like Zionist movement or whatever, Zion with a Z is speaking about the earthly Jerusalem, the real city that's over there in Israel right now in its place, Okay. When you see Sion with an S, or Zion with an S, it's speaking about the heavenly city. Okay, the heavenly city. And it says, we're not come to that mount that can be touched, but we're come to Mount Zion. That's the heavenly. Okay, and unto the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. And so everything, he's want these Hebrew believers to say, look, don't identify yourself with that any longer. You're in Christ now. You're born again. What He has is better. He's the mediator of a better covenant. And He's able to bring you to heaven. And the, and the Bible says He's made us to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. That's something that's taking place right now. We're physically seated in this house, having church. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 6 that He's made us to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. That's like a present standing of where we are now. So right now, in my heart of hearts, there's no barrier between me and the Lord. Okay, He's at the right end of the Father now, but it's like as though I'm seated in His presence right now. We're that near. He's Emmanuel. His Spirit lives inside of us. There's no border around a mountain that I have to stay away from. There's nothing like that because the only hindrance uh, barrier was my sin, and the Lord has dealt with that. Thoroughly cleansed me and washed me of that. And He always promised that He would. That promise was given, we've said, in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve first sinned and the judgments were first given, a Redeemer was promised. Okay? 
And so the law was not to be the redeemer. The law was to show the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, to make a temporary atonement for sins that men might call upon the Lord for mercy like David learned and people learned to call. You don't have uh, delight in burnt sacrifices and offerings in the blood of bulls and goats. You want a contrite heart. He got it. You know what I mean? He understood it. At the same time, he loved the law. He didn't despise it because it made him wise and it taught him things about God. And it, it revealed the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. He understood it. Okay? So that's, that's the covenant that we're part of. And so uh, I'll just read a couple of, of, of verses here. I'm just going to read some quickly. Revelation 14.1. We're talking about the mount that we've come to. John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Sion. And with him, 144,000 having the Father's name written in their foreheads. It's a heavenly mount. It's the heavenly Jerusalem that's being spoken of there. And that's where the Lord is now and where we're going to go. Uh, we're going to be with him one day there. But God's made that provision even now through the blood of Jesus. But uh, so the heavenly city, the eternal city, this is the city that in Hebrews 11, it says that all these men and women that uh, of faith that died. They obtained a good report from the Lord. Right? We studied all that. And it talks about the different ones. It says they all looked for this city which has foundations whose builder and maker was God. And guess what? A lot of them lived before the law. Enoch and Abel and people like that. Abraham, Sarah. A lot of them lived during the law. During the law. They're Old Testament saints. And all of them were looking for this city by faith. And by faith he obtained it, even though they died before any of these promises like the cross and so forth and Jesus the Messiah. They died before any of that happened, but they died in the faith. They died longing for it, looking for it. They embraced the promises of God. They per persuaded of them. They believed them. And they held on to them. And they've obtained. Okay? They're, they are there. And that's what they were longing for. These children of Israel and Moses and Joshua's day, they were not longing for that. They were not looking for that. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They were rebellious. They were unthankful. They were murmuring. They were complaining. And the point, that, and the problem is, they stayed that way. They stayed that way. They didn't have to stay that way. Joshua, Moses, and Caleb were the only three in that generation that didn't die in unbelief. Moses did die in the wilderness, but he certainly didn't die in unbelief. Joshua and Caleb outlived all their peers in a whole nother generation raised up and they, Joshua led them into the promised land. But they, they saw it. They got it. They understood it by faith. The heart of the Lord. And He, he wants us to as well. But um, it says to, to the church, look at verse 23. This is what we're come to. We've come unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. And the Bible says that in Revelation, that thousands upon thousands. Behold, and I'll just read this from Revelation 5, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them. Here's the number of the, the beasts and angels around the throne of God. It was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands. So it's just like, to me, it's like even, not even a number. 10,000 on 10,000, we could figure that one out pretty quick. It says, and thousands of thousands. So there's just an innumerable company of angels. And that's what we've come to. We've come to the heavenly city, 
into the presence of the living God to an innumerable company of angels. This is not what those people came to at Mount Sinai. Okay, they were at this mountain that could be physically touched because it was a physical mountain. What we have is better. He's telling these Hebrew believers, don't be longing to go back to, to your Judaism. They didn't have anything like what you got in Jesus. Okay? And so he was, he was encouraging them and provoking them on. But he says, you've come unto the, verse 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. The Bible does say that there is a lamp, the Lamb's book of life that names are written in, all that are born again. And so we're, we're in that book. If you're born again, you and I are in that book. And I'll just read this, Revelation 20. It's, it's also in another passage in Revelation. This is at the uh, great white throne judgment. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the book according to their works. And so there is a book. There's a book of those that know Christ that are are a part of uh, the, the church of the living God, the called out ones, okay? And I believe this is including Old Testament and New Testament saints when it says that the church, um, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. You know, all the different names of the Lord, there's different names, and I certainly don't know them all, but we know, you know, like Jehovah Jireh, our provider, right? And, and there's different names for Jehovah Shalom, our peace. One of the names for the Lord is Jehovah Shaphat, S-H-A-Y-P-H-A-T, Jehovah Shaphat. And that is the Lord, the righteous judge. He's the Lord, the righteous judge. And that name was first revealed when, um, when the Lord appeared in three, three people, these three angels. A lot of people think that was the pre-incarnate Christ and the, the Trinity basically appearing to Abraham before he went to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And he has this encounter with Abraham. And, he, and that's when Abraham says, Lord, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, destroy the righteous with the wicked. That'd be far from you. Should not the judge of all the earth do right? And that's, that's really where that name first appears in the Bible. But he is the Lord, the righteous judge, and he will always do right. It's always, always going to do right. When you look at, you know, I was watching TV last night, y'all, and so, sometimes I'll get so disgusted, so sick, and I guess in, in my spirit that I almost can't take it. Like, you know, like something, some, something that's so calling wrong right. It just really, really bothers me, and right wrong. Let the ones that are doing right and standing right for God and living holy and doing what they're supposed to do as a human being and as a Christian... They're the ones who are demonized and the ones who's just living, um, you know, dishonestly and in all kinds of sin and immorality. They're the ones who are praised. But there was this, they showed on Fox News, and I, I don't watch a whole lot because I, I guess I do get so upset about it. But uh, there was a guy that uh, got fired from Google. Did y'all, anybody else happen to see that last night? Okay, he got fired from Google. You know, he worked in Silicon Valley, obviously good at what he did, did there because of something he posted that was didn't line up with, you know, with their philosophy. It must have been something, they didn't even say what it was, but it must have been something conservative, okay? I don't even know if it was even Christian. Just something conservative that he posted. 
And he was not only fired, but he was told he wouldn't work there nor in that industry, in that whole industry. Because this company's so powerful, I forgot how many multi-billions of dollars, you know, got a uh, GMP graded in a lot of countries, I'm sure, it has that kind of authority to, to blackball somebody like that. And it just made me mad. It was like, um, you know, here's a guy, go, he go to school, he got his degree, he did everything, he applied for the job, he's doing his job fine. He wasn't fired because he wasn't faithful to the job or doing anything like that. He was fired because his views didn't line up <coughs> with the views of the company. So he hasn't even broken a law. And yet, having not broken the law, he can be fired from his job and blackballed from ever working in that industry again. Now, I'm praying for him that God will take care of him. But the judge of all the earth is going to straighten that out at some Amen. point. Okay? One thing it reminds us of is that this world is not our home. That's more proof of it right there. If he is a Christian, okay, he knows it. Okay? It's not fair. But the Lord's going to be fair. And the Lord's going to be righteous and just. He's the judge of all the earth, and he's going to do right. And that's who we're come to. He's our judge, but we also have a mediator through Christ Jesus, our Lord, and our advocate. And so this is what um, this is what we're come to. So we're not come to that physical mount. So I'm back here, and it says, "Into the spirits of just men made perfect, because the Lord has justified us." That's how we're perfect, or that word means complete. Okay, it means to accomplish, to complete, to consecrate, to finish. The spirits of just men made complete or perfect because that's what the Lord's done. And that's what the scriptures tell us that he has, um, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Y'all, this coming Sunday, which the Lord's already given me the, the first sermon on it this week, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to do a, uh, a series, I don't know if it's going to be two, three weeks, something like that, not really long but on um, holiness and the difference between our standing in Christ as being holy and our behavior as being holy. Amen. They're two different things. We're going to talk about that. But uh, so when the Bible says, for example, in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever them that are sanctified that has to do with our standing or position in Christ that can't be altered. The Lord did it. It's a, it's a past tense. It's accomplished. It's done. Amen. And it's who and what I am in Jesus. And so we're going to start talking about that uh, this Sunday morning coming up. But, but there's more uh, in my practical life, a whole lot more that I need to walk out in my behavior, in my lifestyle, in my conduct to honor God and be Christ-like in, in all how I live as a believer. But let's keep reading. In verse 24, and we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Okay, so turn with me if you would. Just keep your spot there and look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's just pick up verse 2. 1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit 
unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. It's the sprinkling. When it, we get back to Hebrews, what we just read there, the last scripture, Jesus, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. There's two thoughts on that scripture about that speaks better things than the blood of Abel, basically. Uh, Abel, Abel offered a blood sacrifice to the Lord. First one that we read about in the Bible where man offered a sacrifice back to the Lord. It was a blood sacrifice. The Bible says that the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, the Lord had not respect. Okay? And so Abel obviously got it. He understood what was required as a sin offering. And so he offered that which pleased the Lord. And the Lord accepted it. But even, even if that's the meaning of the scripture, um, it was still would have been a temporary thing because it had to have been the blood of an animal that was given. So that would have been more like the other animal sacrifices that were offered all through the years. And we know it's impossible, the Bible says, that the blood of bulls and goats can take away a sin. We understand that. But God required it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And he, he uh, accepted it. He required it. Then he accepted it as a covering for our sins. Never washed away and it never clean, cleaned the conscience. We've talked about it. Never cleaned a man's conscience uh, to where he was free from sin, the guilt of sin. And, and <coughs> the blood of Jesus can do that. And so Jesus' blood, the blood of sprinkling of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel because his blood really can do that. It can wash away our sin. It can cleanse our conscience. Um, it, let, me just, let me just read this. Hebrews 10, 22. This is something we've already studied. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Jesus can actually deal with that heart and that conscience and so it's better. Abel did what was right. God accepted it. It wasn't a knock against Abel. It was just a magnification, I guess you would say, of Jesus. Amen. And what, what his blood is able to do and what his blood did do and effectually wrought for us. And so I, we ought to be thankful for that once again and just uh, be so thankful that we're part of this covenant. Mediator simply means when it's a mediator of a new covenant, we've talked about that. It means a go-between, a reconciler, or an intercessor. Okay, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. He's the mediator of the New Testament. Him. Not Moses, not another man, not another prophet, not another priest who first had to offer sacrifices for their own sins and then the sins of the people. He's the eternal God who offered himself to the Lord eternal son of God and he didn't have sins that he had to deal with first he just came and gave himself Abel's blood sacrifice was pleasing to God and Abel's blood even when he was murdered if that's the thought that was given the scripture his blood would have been cried out for justice and retribution Jesus blood cries out for mercy and forgiveness for sinners See, there's a difference. It does speak better things. If, if it's talking about the blood that he shed himself when Abel was murdered by his brother Cain, and in the, in the Lord says, his, Cain, where's your brother Abel? His blood's crying out to me from the ground. It's literally what he said. The Lord knew what happened. That blood would have been crying out, like I said, probably revenge or justice. Lord, make it just and right. He was murdered. Innocent man was murdered. 
But Jesus' blood is crying out mercy, forgiveness for people who are guilty, like you and me, in the whole world. Reconciliation, I want to bring it back to me. We're reconciled to, G to God through the blood of his cross. I'll just read a couple of scriptures here as we're coming to a close. Uh, two verses. If you want to read along, you can. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's by his own blood. Okay? In Colossians 1:20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. It's by the blood of Jesus and not any other way. So we ought not get tired of it, talking about it. We ought not get tired of hearing sermons and lessons about it and singing songs about it. We need to be thankful for the blood of Jesus and, and what it speaks to our lives and what it's done for our lives. Amen. And y'all, I think honestly, I'm just going to stop here for tonight. Uh, we'll finish up this chapter next week and probably go on and start chapter 13. That is the last chapter coming up and it's not as long as some of these others. But uh, we're going to finish up in chapter 13. Uh, I mean, finish up chapter 12 and start on chapter 13 next week. I want to read a, a little quote I got from a book that I was reading today. God no longer says stay at a distance, but draw near. It doesn't say stay at a distance, but draw near. And he, he wants us to draw near. He wants to bring us close. Okay? We've already arrived in, in principle into that heavenly place. We're not physically there yet, but in principle is how one uh, pastor put it. We've already arrived in principle where, where, in, where in full reality we shall be forever. And today, we possess tomorrow. On earth, we own heaven. And so, it's not just a physical mountain that burned with smoke and fire. It's the heavenly Mount Zion, Amen. okay, that we're coming to, and the living God, and the, the judge of all the earth, and the spirits of just men made perfect. This is all because of Jesus. You can see what an encouragement this would have been to the Hebrew believers. Uh, reminding them of these things, constantly reminding them of these things. And, and the author, which I know is the Holy Spirit, and I believe is Paul, just so brilliant, brilliantly lays it out there. And in every aspect, Jesus is better. You know, better priesthood, better priest, better law, better covenant, better sacrifice, better sanctuary. Everything is better about the Lord. And y'all, we're part of that. We're part of that group of Hebrew believers. We're part of this new covenant Amen. in the blood of Jesus. And I'm thankful that I am. I don't have to disrespect Amen. the Old Testament law or the Old Covenant to appreciate this, this new covenant. Amen. And I'm thankful for it. So let's just pray for a few minutes tonight. Father, we love you so much, God. And Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, speaks better things than the blood of Abel. It's better than the sacrifice of animals that was offered up. It's the sinless blood, sacrifice of the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that cannot be spoken of anybody else or anything else or any other blood. It's because Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross, that, Father, you've given him a name that's above every name, 
It's at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you're Lord. And God, we confess gladly tonight. And we want to thank you, Lord. And we pray that, that as we study the word of God, Lord, that every particular lesson or sermon might just not move us to tears or something like that, but that we would take your word and feast on it. Yes. We would take your word and we would hide it in our hearts, God, that we wouldn't sin against you. We would take your word and we would be able ministers of this New Testament, uh, the Word of God, that we ourselves could rightly teach it to others. And understand, what was the purpose of the old law, well, the, the covenant, what old covenant? What's the purpose of the new covenant? How is it better? We'll understand these things, God, and we can be thankful, but we can also teach it to other people, God, that may be confused or not understand, God. And I just pray, Lord, tonight that you'd help us for a few minutes, God, we do have that access. We don't have to just wait till we get to heaven to talk to you. We can meet with you right now. You're Emmanuel, God, with us. And we can boldly approach your throne. We're not commanded to stay away. We're told to come. Freely come. But it's only by the blood of Jesus. It's through our intercessor. It's through our advocate. It's through our mediator. Now, Lord, we want to come that way tonight, God. Just for a few minutes, Lord, help us, God, to call upon you, to sit at your feet, to worship you, to honor you, to thank you, Lord, to love you. I pray you just fill us with your spirit. Minister to us tonight, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.